The Wings Over New Zealand show is brought to you in association with the Wings Over New Zealand Aviation Forum, New Zealand's number one aviation discussion forum online. There you'll find discussion on all aspects of New Zealand aviation, from history to current affairs and thousands of photos covering the Royal New Zealand Air Force, airlines, general aviation, warbird restorations, air show news, sport aviation, home building, gliding, aviation media and much, much more. You'll be in good company with other aviation enthusiasts, including pilots, engineers, warbird owners and restorers, historians and authors, modelers, aviation photographers and many others. Sign up to the Wings Over New Zealand community now. It's free and easy. Just Google Wings Over New Zealand and you'll find the forum. Extended. Hi, this is Peter Johnson from Aerospace Radio Station Extended. And we bring you some of Europe's best guests. He's, he's been something of, of an unsung hero of the American space program outside those who are, have made it their business to become aficionados of it. News. Some people will call you mad. Some people will call you heroes. Uh, uh, and everyone else is probably somewhere in that spectrum. It's uh, it's an amazing project to, to pull together from literally from scratch. And views. You've got to pick yourself up, dust yourself off, and learn from that experience. And that's not an easy thing to do, Peter, learning from your own failure. So why not give us a listen if you want to hear about warbirds, aviation, and the aerospace industry? Come over and give us a visit. Aviation-extended.co.uk And remember, there's no E at the beginning of Extended. Extended. The Wings Over New Zealand show would like to acknowledge the great support it's had from Fly DC3. You can fly back in time with Fly DC3 from Ardmore Airport, charter the DC3 Dakota and fly into the past. It's an experience you'll never forget. Fly DC3. Go to www.flydc3.co.nz Welcome to the Wings Over New Zealand show with Dave Homewood. Welcome to the Wings Over New Zealand show. I'm your host, Dave Homewood. Back in February of 2019, Bevan Jews and I spent a couple of days up in Auckland, and we took the opportunity to drop in on Neville Clark, who was rather an interesting pilot from World War II. He was a Kiwi attached to the Royal Air Force's Ferry Command. After the war, he also flew with Teal on the flying boats. Here's our interview. I, I've actually interviewed probably about five or six hundred veterans over the last 15 yeah, years. Yeah. Um, some of them on film and some of them just on audio. Yeah. Uh, and you're the first Ferry Command guy I've come across. Well, there were very few of us. Yeah, exactly. There were very few of us. It, it was... I, I, joined, I joined the Air Force in September 1941 uh, off a farm in Otago Central. Which was, and that was just before bloody lambing, and you know what a hassle that is. And there's a younger brother had to leave 
um, uh, boarding school after one and a half terms, uh, one, uh, one and a half years, uh, to take my place. Right. And then I, I did my flying at Harewood, uh, and doing my first solo, I did everything by right at that stage, you see. And I went round and did the same bloody thing, this tree and that tree around there. The bloody thing, because the, the instructor wasn't there, didn't sink somehow, couldn't get down. It took three bloody seconds before I get down, and then it took the top off the, off the hanger. <laughs> so it went further down and went to get through here. So eventually got that. And then went to Canada on, on Cessna Crane, which was a photograph on there. And uh, uh, I and and uh, there was, was a mixed Canadian uh, New Zealand uh, course, and myself and and Donald Brian Francis McLean, I'll never get him, were, were co uh, top of the class, and we and two other Canadian guys were posted to Ferry Command to Dorval. Um, this is when we were in, in uh, uh, Alberta. Where the hell's Dorbell? Montreal. And we, and we, had, we were sent off on indefinite leave. And they said, well, the Kiwis want to go to New York, you see. So we went to New York. And I think we, got, we had about 60, 60 odd dollars Canadian money and, 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 a, and a travel check. We went down there and we had two weeks in New York and we still had money left when we finished. This, this, the Americans are wonderful money hosts. Anyway, then I got the passion to draw well. Went from there and you'll see them there. And um, the, the training was a place called North Bay, which is uh, northwest of Ontario. That's, uh, you can see that it's Canada here. Where's, where's Canada? Oh, yeah. Up and about there somewhere. Yeah. The module was there. And uh, did the training there on, on Hudson's and also on, on a, a Mitchell. Uh, just, just a little bit away. Uh, back to Montreal. Um, then did a few circuits on a, on a, on a uh, Ventura. And then I was co pilot to a um, a Coastal Command British crew that would take the aeroplane back, the train, train in Canada, aircraft back, and then they were going to go through. So we <laughs> we had a series of trouble with they they we got in, into Maine to land in something. I don't know why we went there, but it went in, and we had engine trouble, and was it was only a bloody gasket, but that's severe. And and um, the, the Venturas at that stage had been built by Vega. They'd just been taken over by Lockheed. And they couldn't find this place. <laughs> this, this thing. We were four weeks there, waiting for the aeroplane to be fixed. Eventually got out to Gander and halfway across the or about a third way across the town, the ocean, the Atlantic. And uh, we got, it, it was icing, but we couldn't clear the body stuff. So we went back and we had to, had to wait for a 10-hour flight plan because he had 11 hours of uh, fuel mm. getting get across, across the, the UK. Not very far, it's only 1,760 nautical miles to 
Northern Ireland from 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 Nana and, and Newfoundland. So um, that was it. Had to turn around, couldn't fix it, and they gave us a Hudson. We went out, and, they, and uh, it was a very large aircraft, and away we went. Again, across the Prestwood was was fogged out, and we had to uh, we had to, we were told to go to the eastern side of, of, of England, and uh, we were wandering around in the RSC. The, the fog was quite low, and uh, wandering around there and. Uh, Navigator came from our area. There was a bloody spire sticking up through the, through the, the cloud. He said, Christ, I don't know what that is. That's the Blackpool Tower. Oh. So that's how we found out what we were. And we learned that there was a, uh, an airport adjacent there, which is clear. That was that thing. The, the second, the first trip I went back by sea to Canada. Okay. And as a point of interest on that one, um, we got on a bus. It was a ship called the Andes, which was built for the for the uh, South American trade from the UK, and it had a round bottom to get up the River Plate. So it, was all, it wasn't very good on the Atlantic. And uh, but we we went out, and the Queen Mary was tied up to a, 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 a boy in the in the, in the Firth of Forth, doing the, checking the compasses on it, and it wouldn't read it. But we arrived in. Uh, Halifax on Christmas Day on 1942. There's the bloody Queen Mary tied up beside there. So she, she was obviously busier faster than we were. Yeah. That was that. The, the, <laughs> the next time I went back was um, in, a, in a, a B24A, which is a short thing, converted into passenger. But in the Bombay, there were six of us in the bloody Bombay. They put us in. in in, in sleeping bags, <laughs> thought points, and we lay there with with oxygen, and getting up and climbing up out again, out of uh, pressure to get up to height and so on, and just fishing and farting the bloody aeroplane and all this sort of thing, and we eventually got got together and so it was. But that's how they got people back sort of things. Wow. So the, the, the other one I was on the other, in the cabin of an aeroplane from then on. Yeah. But did that. Then went did it again to North Bay where we did command training, and uh, my first flight was on a, on a aeroplane called uh, Hudson again, but they had it had tow brakes which which, which had only just started. Okay. Prior to that, they had uh, the Hudson had a, 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 a pump action on the on the on the quadrant. You pull this bloody pump. And, and then the, the pedals, pedals would give you inter interaction braking, so it was right. pretty, pretty bloody East Robinish. And so we got that thing to do. Well, then uh, there, was, there was about four of us from the course going off the same day. And to give us more reins, they, they had the mid upper turret. turret. <coughs> they took that out and they, and they stored it in the back of the aeroplane. And when <coughs> we were the second to go off, and I had my da head down in the cockpit doing the run up and so on. And uh, <laughs> as the blacks were watching the number first go, go up, and he said, Christ, he's, sw he's, he's swinging. And uh, sure enough, we went down into a slow bloody loop, not very fast, around, right around, he went down. And, uh, then it sort of fell over on the side with a leg left. 
that was the word, and, and probably 20, 30 seconds, it, it caught fire. The, the leg is up through the tank, you see, and it builds up. The next man, his poor bloody brown bears rushing out of the cockpit to get away. And uh, the point of interest there, the, the, the pilot was a pommy bloke, and he had oh, all his savings. He'd converted into cash, and he was taken back to the state, and was in his body. And his and his uh, his uniform coat, which hang on his uh, on his ch uh, uh, chair, well, and, and he obviously didn't have time to think about that. But they they went and they collected the ashes, and they got about they identified about three quarters of it, the numbers and so on. But this is a side issue anyway. So they. Um, we, uh, I, I took off and I, I should have should have stopped. Of course, should have stopped. Same bloody, you know, 40, 45 minute knots, push the stick, bloody target up, and away you go. Forty-five knots, push the stick. It doesn't work. Shit, push again. Check the, the trim's okay. Check, and I kept going, and as a matter of rudder and 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 power. And I, I got the thing off, but we we used the runway from side to side and so on. And uh, so and we're going to a place called Goose Bay in Labrador, and uh, it was day daylight. And uh, so while we were on the flight, the, the, the two two crimmers that they they, they got this bloody uh, turret and manhole and retired it. Not probably looking back, it would have been <laughs> if we'd had a you know, a sudden stop, it probably would have kept going up to it. But anyway, it, but it balanced the airplane to the point when we got there. Goosebow was uh, a nice open field, which was built um, in Labrador, and, and one of the top off points for the for the North Atlantic, uh, flying across, across the States. And this particular one, flight, we went from there to a place called Rui West 1, in southwest uh, Greenland, uh, there was, there was a, um, a field there, I think it was about 56 miles in, and once you got in, you couldn't get out, you had to bloody land, and the, the, the runway was at the water's edge, up towards the foot of the, of the glacier, and uh, so you had to land up there and then come back the other way, and they were not very long, only about four hours each time, but we did a we could have done two of them in a day one, I think, back now, but we didn't. Okay. We spent the night there. But that's, uh, on that particular one, we had to worry about the um, uh, whiteouts because um, it was about 7,000 feet the land. Um, the ice cap was just, just as flat as it was full. But you had to sort of make sure you were a minimum height on that. But um, even though it was a clear sky, you couldn't tell where the horizon was. You absolutely couldn't tell the bloody horizon. Wow. So we we went across the Regabek and then down to down to Presley. Well, that was that was that part of it. Got the training, uh, and after that, and after that, I was checked out on the Baltimore in in Montreal, which is a a, a light twin uh, fast. It was seventeen hundred and fifty horsepower motors. And the, the guys in the desert said, if they had a bit of height, the Mississippi couldn't catch the bloody thing. But um, I, I delivered several of those on, on the South Atlantic. 
the last one, funnily enough, in, in July 44, just before I came, completed the posting down there. And they're all in desert colours, colours mind you. They're halfway up bloody Italy by the time. <laughs> so they must have had a... a the, 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 the people must have had a contract to build the bloody things and build them on bloody board whether they wanted them or not. Yeah, yeah. So that was that. So that was... So there I, I lived at Baltimore's, it was down in there, Baltimore's, Marauders, um, Ventura, or maybe one, a couple of Dakotas, stuff like that. But where were you delivering the two? Uh, uh, to, to West Africa. Uh, to West Africa. It went down, um, the, main, the main route was from Vassar uh, to, to um, Port of Spain and Trinidad, which is about seven hours flying. The next one was to Malem, which is an airfield against cut out of the out of the the jungle in, at the southern side of the of the uh, Amazon, which is 160 odd miles wide at that stage. That's an interesting one. Isn't it? See the build the building of the bridges in behind there. Oh yeah, this is Golden Gate. Both. Both the, both the Golden Gate and the, and the Oakland Bridge is being built. 1935. That was a. Um, a, a I bought that as, as, a, as a sort of folder that, uh, in, in San Francisco. And that's where you just fly on the passengers down from San Diego down to Sydney. Anyway, so we, those are the aeroplanes that flew on that run. Um, back, to, back to Montreal in July. Uh, checked out on Liberators. Uh, uh, first solo on that was, was again to his place. And then, uh, then across the UK. Uh, and then another one uh, uh, out to, out to uh, Karachi. And that was by uh, Gander. Uh, Azores, Rabat Sail, uh, Cairo, and Karachi. And, you know, fate is the hunter. I got back from the trip and I went out to the Dillaville to see the offering to see what the next flight was. And they said, oh, they've got a vacancy for a co-pilot on this run down to down to Sydney from, from San Diego. I said, oh, I put me down for that. So they did. And about three days later, I got a call to go out there and said, oh, we just got a new posting for you. You posted to the UK to, to fly Dakota's Dragon Dragon uh, gliders out of Europe, you see. Oh, right. I said, oh, you just told me last week I was going, to the, going down to San Diego. And I said, oh, I did. So they took me off that. I, th I, th I thought afterwards that was the, the Eindhoven rave. It wasn't. It was, uh, I wouldn't have been there in time. Then. Anyway. We went down to San Diego, and that was from November 44 to December 45. And we started off with a C87, which is a, a Liberator built as a passenger aircraft. But it didn't have quite the range, uh, so we had to go up to Hamilton Field at, at Oakland, just north end of that, that uh, Oakland Bridge there. It's about 250 odd miles shorter than from San Diego. And across it, across to Honolulu, Canton Islands, Nandi, Penopi, uh, and Sydney. And 
And we did about four of those, and then we got we got that thing there, which which is a uh, it's a copy of the aircraft which was uh, Churchill's personal aircraft, right. called the Commando. Yeah. And uh, uh, the normal liberators they had paddle rate props on them because they they were efficient at high altitude, but they weren't so good down there. That thing didn't have to go high. Uh, so they had a paddle braid box on it, so it was more efficient at lower altitude. It was a very nice aeroplane, actually. So we did that, and that was till September, uh, December 1945, and then I, that was back to Montreal. And the aeroplane was landed there in a ham, hamburger stand outside the airport. <laughs> Uh, that was that was the the aviation battle. Okay. Um, so, what's the designation of that? It's an uh, Highway Three. The the, um, the the they they built a, a, a military version of it called the called the Commando, and the the uh, U.S. Marines had it, and um, some of the guys went out out to P Pendleton. This is Marine field out a bit north of San Diego, and they they were taken up on the thing, and the guy said that they could they could throw the thing around just about like a bloody fighter. It was it was a very very nice aeroplane to fly. There was no power controls in those days, but it it it, it worked well. So that was in uh, when we went to uh, incidents, incidents, a few incidents. Uh, on one of the trips on, on, on DC on a DC three uh, Dakota, we, for some reason or other, we went instead of going down to Piaka, we went down to uh, an American field, perhaps uh, in, in the in the um, in the West Indies, and when we were taking off at night, we were, uh, and just got about. Thousands of people lost oil pressure on both of the engines. So they shut out the van, got the thing back smartly, and it turns out what's handed. They hammered down from the factories in the wintertime, and they had been very cold, so they had, they had uh, high, oil, high or low viscosity, thin oil, thin oil. And uh, when, when they got down in the hot weather, the thin oil, there was just no, no body in the bloody thing. So I got that thing down. And then there was another case on, on a um, Bullimore. The Bullimore, they, if an aircraft broke down, they learned the lesson that they were that business of saying, always looking for a room. If an aircraft broke down, the crews were sent back to Sandy, to uh, Nassau, to pick up another, another aircraft. And then when the aircraft was service again, They'd pull a returning crew off the aircraft, and, and we were pulled off this aircraft. And had to have a double engine change, and they checked it out. And this is a blameless buddy. The airport was cut out of out of, out of the the, the uh, forest, and it's bloody high high forest. There's nothing around, and there's nowhere else to go. So we got up in the air, and I could see the buddy all guys going down like this. And Jesus Christ, I've got, got my bloody ass back down on the ground, 
and they just built a new runway. <laughs> I didn't have time to work it with it. It was the wrong one, as it turned out. They were flashing a red light when we cut the thing down. Okay, but uh, the, the aftermath of that was they had one an old, old uh, top sergeant uh, engine controller and so on. He and his books had slaved in the, in, the, in the products to change these two engines. And then we got up the bloody thing with all the, and they found out that the, the scraper rings had been put in upside down. <laughs> so we are pulling the air into, uh, oil into the engine rather than out of the engine. Yeah. So that was, uh, that was how it went. When you uh, did a ferry flight across the Atlantic, would you usually take the same crew with you or would it always well, be a different? Well, uh, on the, not so much on the north, on the, on the south, we went down there as a crew, there was a Doug Ferguson, a Canadian navigator, and Ronnie Webb from Mangary was the radio operator. And those guys were most more experienced than me. When I think back, they, you know, you go down there and think, now, I wonder what this bus is any good or not. And I had, I had one terrible change. Uh, not long after down, down in the Bahamas, um, an English navigator said, "What well, would would I mind if he if he joined my crew?" He wasn't too happy, were happy with his captain. Yeah. Well, of course we had a crew, couldn't be all said. I'm sorry, I can't do it. He got written off the next bloody trip. The, the guy grand ripped the aeroplane and wrote the crew off. So you got that on your on your mind, sort of. And what can you do? But no, it is. Um, it was an interesting setup because they were losing so many uh, ships at sea with the aeroplanes on, so they decided that they wanted to fly them across. And I, uh, I even heard that the they, they first started first light went over in in formation. Now I don't know whether that's true or not. Sorry, was had one navigator, well, but I, I, I think that's highly unlikely. <coughs> but um, um, they went across. The, there was. I was telling you the um, Goose Bay, Gander, with the two dropping off points, stopping off points to get to the UK. And in the winter time, they were virtually snowbound. And the bloody snow would be up above, above your eye level, and I'd cock it. They'd have to run away. Story: They were deciding that they were going to practice um, towing gliders to see if it would be worthwhile to tow them across the Atlantic. Right. Yeah. Uh, but by uh, short runs, this way, I don't know whether they could go into into Blue West, but they could go into Reykjavik and stuff like that. Yeah. And they, they they had to, to service these places, they had a Ventura, a stripped down Ventura, that had, um, they get to put all the, the supplies to both these planes on. So they used that to, to practice towing the bloody glider. Had a Canadian guy, he was a bit like Scribble Burling, a bit of a hard case. And, he was going out to Goose Bay and he lost an engine. 
been shooting a lot of power. That's good enough to keep keep keep, keep the aircraft up and and the, the glider. So he's it's he dropped the, the the glider off. It was in the winter because all the lights were coming. The size of no problem. Then he went back and he forgot to tell anybody. He forgot, and they went in the next day to see what he was doing, and they said, "Christ, you're supposed to be out, you know, delivering this bloody meal." And he said, "Oh, we had." Had to come back because of engine problems. And what about the glider? Said, Jesus Christ, the glider! <laughs> <laughs> so they went down, and there was apparently a squadron leader was flying this one, and they found a very irritable <laughs> on 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 the on the lake. And they the story was that they took a took a, a venture out and t and landed on the on the lake and took it off. Wow! So there's <laughs> so some oddball stories there. Yeah. Because uh, you're talking about odd places and so on, um, on the South Atlantic, the Ascension Islands uh, was about 1,200 nautical miles east of Brazil. Mm -hmm. Almost, it's about, I think it was about uh, two, two degrees north or two degrees south of the equator, virtually, and it's 32 east. Yeah. And it's, it's a bit like Mangatoga. It's a lot, a lot of. A lot of uh, volcanic rock and stuff like that. And I don't know who got the, thought of the idea, but the British apparently said it couldn't be done. And this, and this is a story. And the, and the Yanks said, we'll fix it. So they put an engineering division on there. And uh, it's. Have you been to Norfolk? Yeah, I've. Uh, you, apparently you land over a cliff there. Yep. I, I haven't been on it, but you land on a cliff there. And. Uh, Flat area for about fifteen hundred feet, then it climbed up gradually, and there were, t there were two peaks that, small peaks that came down, to, came together like that, and they, they just blasted the way through and put a put a track through there, and went down the other side a little bit, and then out had, had level ground on the far side, and they must be longer now because they, they use they use um, ascension to get out of the out of the Balkans. Yeah, that's right. And, uh, I think we had about six thousand people that had a more than it, but you, you, <laughs> you could t you could tell new pilots coming in there because you'd come in and land on this flat, nice flat area of land up this hill, and then there's a peak of the hill, ridge which is over the other side. Jesus Christ, running out of bloody runway. This is bloody engine the aircraft standing on almost on its nose. They get up there and they see the runway way up. <laughs> So it was uh, another story about uh, Ascension. The, the traders in, in the firm used to buy a whiskey at seven shillings and sixpence uh, for 26 ounce of whiskey in, in, in the harness and sell it to the Yanks on, on Ascension because there's nothing else there. Yeah. And they'd, they'd, they'd sell it, I don't know what make a good profit on. But what they didn't realise was that British Telecom had a, a station up, up on, it's about two and a half thousand feet, it's, it's always in the cloud. Um, and uh, these poor buggers were up there and the Yankees used to sell them the whiskey to them for road profit again. So it, it was very expensive. But that was, that was how I passed my war, very cushy war. Did you, when you used to fly across, particularly to Britain, 
would you load up with stuff that you knew that couldn't be found there? Um, no. Was there regulations against that? Would they check it? No. Well, I was a 21-year-old bloody sheep cocky from Otago Central. Yeah. There were three of us. Three of us. We were in the Otago Mount Rivals when the war came. As most of our people were. I never saw one, never been near an aeroplane. If you, if you saw one fly over, or heard one fly over, you'd stop whatever you're doing, see this bloody speck in the sky. And uh, we decided, I don't know how we, how we came out, we decided we had to go to the Air Force. So we, we applied for it and we all, we all we got, did the assignments, not in assignments. We all got in, all got our wings and all came home. I had the cushy job. Um, one of them, there's a paragraph in there, Nim Scott, he was on typhoons uh, chasing bloody trains and so on after when they went into in France. Was that Descott? Huh? Was that Descott? No, no, oh. no Nim Scott. Nim Scott. Oh, okay. Scott yeah. Elizabeth James Scott. Um, there was a, and he got an EMC chasing him. He got shot down. And uh, he married a Canadian girl who was a Catholic. Terry, she a lovely girl, but the Scots were as bad as Scotch as they could bloody well be. So it, it, Adolf Hitler changed life for a lot of people. Yeah. 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 So you you didn't really have much aviation while you were growing up at all? You None. didn't see much of them around there? None. I'd never been close to an aeroplane. I went to Waitangi Boys High School as a border when, when the uh, Union Airways stuff used to go out and go the repairs and, and stuff like that. And that that's all. I've never been close on anything. What made you join the Air Force then? What was the Well, the we, I don't know what, what. We all joined, the three of us joined together. And, uh, or applied to join. And we all got in. What what had caused that, I don't know. But there was oddly enough, towards the end of the war, um, uh, the army guys that were doing, you know, working around New Zealand and stuff, officers. And then they were told that they had to go to Italy. A number of them uh, remustered to the airports. And uh, they, uh, I had a brother who trained at Kersan in Canada. And in the mess there, he had uh, several, several of them over there. And because they're officers, they lived in the bloody mess. And they had their full treatment, so, so it takes all kinds. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, can you tell me the, your date of birth? Cause Pardon? Can you tell me your date of birth? 5-11-1921. Guy Fawkes Day. So that makes... 97. 97, yeah. yeah. Doing very well for that. Uh, well, I've been in this place almost eight months. Yeah. And um, I had a bit of balcony, you can see with it, right. taking it out. And uh, that took the stuffing out of me. I lived just over two miles away in, in, in Takapuna, and I used to walk to Takapuna every day and run football, all that sort of stuff. I couldn't do that now. Uh, um, even since I've been here, I used to walk to North Coast Shopping, which is about well, approximately a K each way. Okay. But, uh, it was a struggle, yeah. but I, I couldn't do it now. So I've got, I've got an electric cart which I bought from one chap along. <laughs> he, 
his, his sight had gone on him, he couldn't use it, and he said, it's something, I can't use it anymore, he said, you can have it, you can have it for the cost of having it overhaul. I said, okay, you're going to toss, that'll be fine. Came back and said, it's a $6,000 new, $6,000 machine. It cost $298 for overall. I said, I'd like a bit more than that. <laughs> <laughs> so it's, it's uh, I gave him two and a half grand for it. But it, it gives me, I've been as far as Belmont in the thing. Oh, right. okay. You get about three hours out of the battery. Oh, brilliant. Mm-hmm. Cool. So, um, when the war ended, yeah. were you still on the... Well, after I, after I finished with Perry Command, as I say, I went back to Montreal on Christmas 1945, yeah. and then got posted to the UK and uh, seconded to BOAC, and they were, they were looking for post-war pilots, yeah. and uh, along with other sort of senior, senior pilots, some bloody hard cases. <laughs> Anyhow, and we, we trained on a thing called a York, yep. which is a, a Lancaster with a, with a, 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 a passionate body on the thing. Yep. And uh, bloody awful aeroplane. It, it had very little hydrogen when it was, when it was ta- towel down, it didn't have very much lift. And it was a struggle to get it off the ground in the in, in, the, in the Gulf and the hot temperatures and so on. Oh, right. But they were, that's, they were caught, you see with having to build military aircraft. The Yanks had uh, DC-4s and all that sort of stuff. So where were you flying uh, those two? What, what was the Oh, course? the... the um, I, I, <laughs> I only did three. I did one to Cairo, one to Johannesburg, and one to uh, Karachi from London. Okay. And uh, then I had a... I had a, a medical, and uh, when I think back, I was psychoanalyzed. Oh, yeah. Because the, you know, things weren't very good then. But this soldier had a, a wife, wife in Australia, in Sydney with, with her son. And he was asking me, you know, when I think about life in the UK and conditions and all those things, and I obviously said the wrong thing. So I suppose it back to Buddy Air Force. He said, well, no, no point spending any any more money on this one, but he's got to be off. Uh, I, got, I got a second class nav ticket out of it, okay. which you had to have yep. in order to get into Teal. Yep, yep. But, um, so that's one of the, and I actually uh, joined Teal. Uh, first day was 7th of May 1947. Um, and so there was my, it was about six, six months before between flying. Um, to the um, and that was on the fl- flying base, and I can actually say that I've, I've flown every aircraft up to the DC-10, even the, the first Empire class flying boat, which they started off with in 1939. Oh right, so they yeah. still had Empires then. The, 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 they had one. One was at Mechanics Bay and had to be shifted up up to Hobsonville, where they were going to put it on hard. And uh, the um, operations manager, Captain Brown, John just been appointed and hit soft flying and he, he was decided to take this thing up to, up to Hobsonville and he said, I want you, you can be my co-pilot in this area. I've never been in the buddies before. Yes. <laughs> he said, that's the flap lever. When I went flap down, you put it down, flap, 
in the air, up and then reverse. And so, so, so we flew from the Canis boat up. <laughs> that was the thing. I learned, and they put it put it up on the hard, and that was that. And then the, the, the first aircraft in flying on was was a um, uh, an S twenty five Sandringer, oh, yeah. which would had R eighteen thirty Pratt and Whitney engines, which was a bloody good engine, but they they something something to do with an SL and heating problem. And on my very first flight, which was in June 1947, we went out and uh, non-pressurised, they couldn't all that. Normally used to go over about 8,000 and come back at 9. We went over and we coming back the next day, and it was like this. And there was just a, a decent front of the middle, about a third of the way across the Tasman from Australia. And these, two, and there was a, there was a, two captains up the front. One was supervising me doing the navigation, and they stuffed around. They wouldn't go through the clouds, you see, and stuffed around, stuffed around, and mucked, mucked around so long that the the flight engineer said, "Phil, I said we we won't have enough bloody fuel to be that so You have to go back to Sydney." So we went back to Sydney, and when those fronts come off the off the coast, the winds will start up at 20 knots, and you know, 12 hours later is about 40 knots when they come off the coast. So it took us a lot more to get back. Clear as a bell, you could you could see the smoke hanging off the power station at Bunnerong, but we struggled back and struggled back. <laughs> and the cap, captain sent a message that we're low on fuel, so they sent it a bloody Catalina out. To shepherd, shepherd us in. Wow. Of course, it made the trip. The, the newspapers in the afternoon, there's two, two papers, the Sun and Mirror, and they they have editions about every hour. <laughs> and there's a big sign. And the, the, our general manager, Jeff Roberts, happened to be over there. And he was down on the bloody wharf of Rose Bay, and he had a paper with a big bloody sign up here. It's aircraft returning to base, captain send dramatic message. Returning to base, don't think I can make it. But bloody, it wasn't a cloud within a thousand miles. <laughs> he wasn't very impressed. <laughs> you know, just uh, strap people in and fly through the bloody cloud. <laughs> I, I, I just couldn't get over Yeah, couldn't get Wow. So then, uh, um, the, 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 the movement in, in Teal was very, very slow because of the flying boats, they, they didn't have, they were only across the Tasman. Initially, it was only just sitting back. Then they did Fiji and Wellington. Then when they got the DC 6, it was Sydney, Melbourne, and uh, Christchurch and Fiji. So, uh, uh, I was, was two, three, of us, three of us, we all had to wait about 11, hour, 11 years to get a command. Wow. So it was, it was a bit frustrating. <laughs> yeah, I mean that's a long time. But I, so I, I the Empire class flying boat, the Sandringham, the Sandringham, the Solon, DC six, Electra, DC eight, and the DC ten. And DC ten was a magnificent body. Beautiful to fly, nice soft undercarriage. Uh, so it was a nice one to finish my ride. Because we had to retire at 55. But the guys, uh, about late 90s, I think, they got extension to the 60s. Yeah. 
So was there much difference between flying the Sandringham and the Solent? Was it a, a big jump or...? Not very, well, it's, it's, there's a lot more power in the, in the Sandringham than the Solent. The interesting thing is that the taking off in a flying boat, uh, it, it's difficult to keep it straight out of wind. And the the torque turned the airplane to the left. Right. Yeah. So must, if you're looking forward, they must be uh, uh, clockwise. And you're taking off, and it was a sou'wester. You had you had to difficult to keep the thing straight, so you had to put the three inches up, and then bring the fourth inches up until you got up on on, on the on the step. It was very difficult. Someone was the other way around. They, they had a left hand time, okay. so it worked against the crosswind. So you could put the power on and solve much quicker. But they were, a, they were a, it was quite a bit, of a, but noisy as hell, very noisy. One hundred and six decibels. Just a, wow. what'd you say? <laughs> What's that? Oh, about the earplugs this year. Yeah. <laughs> What's that? He's just reading about the earplugs being issued to you. Oh, okay. not, not issued. Oh, not yeah. issued, yeah. Yeah. You don't have that. So, the, um, of all the aircraft that you flew over your career, which was the best and which was the worst? Uh, best was the DC 10. Uh, as the the aircraft I carried, the best was the Marauder B twenty six. Although it was it was a, the initial model was called the Widowmaker. Then uh, we flew the B twenty six F, which was um, the flying prostitute. No visible means of support because it, it was a high it was a high wing. Air, loaded aircraft for that time. Yeah. It was uh, something over 40 pounds, whereas a, a DC uh, Decatur was about 26, something like that. But uh, they were good. The the um, um, Baltimore was a very nice. Once it, once you get in the air, it was a um, a tricycle aircraft, and when we were ferrying it, it had a about I think it was about a 600. And 50 odd US gallon tank in the fuselage in, in the Bombay, and that was about six inches on the ground. And you had to be careful. It wasn't bad when it was full, but when you're landing, there might be 50, 60 gallons left in there. It's only got a swing of metal in it, and then very hard to keep things straight. But in the air, it was a, it was a nice area to hand a fine. They're all, all going in various ways, yeah. But the, the sanding them was. Um, it was nice to fly. It was a poor performance aircraft. They had uh, just after I joined the company, they one lost an engine coming out from Australia, and they couldn't hold height. And they, could, uh, they, were, they, were, they wanted to go. They were, they were asked them to go to Lord Howe, but there, was, there didn't know whether where there was anywhere to land in, in, in the. In the yeah, so they went back, and they they, um, they got the stage where they couldn't hold height. They could get slower, get hot, slower, and so on. So they eventually threw a lot of the baggage over the side, and that's the famous story where 
there was a, a bishop on board and threw his cassock over the side. <laughs> and someone in finance said it was a very, very expensive cassock when they, when they were asked to repay for the place. <laughs> yeah. So uh, I guess I guess everybody that's flying here on the airplane has got certain, certain things that they can enjoy themselves. It's interesting that you said the Marauder was the best that you flew on Ferry Command because I've heard from another Marauder pilot who said it was the best aircraft he'd flown. Yeah. Very stable and yeah, that's right. and, and fast too. Oh, it's, it's fast. Well, it had 2,000 horsepower motors. Yeah. It had um, Curtis Electric propellers um, uh, and they, there was a certain concern that they, in certain wet conditions, that short circuit and we lose control. We never had any trouble with that. And of course, everything that you were fearing would have been uh, unarmed. You didn't have any so gunners no, on no, board, no, anything no. like that. So oh, there was nothing. No, no one was fired. Couldn't get out there. So. Did Did you ever worry, though, as you're sort of approaching Scotland or anything, that you might be attacked? No. You never felt like you were no, in threat. No, no, actually, on that particular flight, where we went up through Greenland and, and Iceland, we're going down the. Scottish coast, and someone flashed that the da they have da daily uh, identical, identical signals and so on, and they change them every day. And we we didn't have that up that day, and so they were probably won't be about that. <laughs> but other than that, no. Okay. Um, when you were first told uh, at the end of your training that you were going to ferry command. What was your thoughts? Because you probably thought you were going to bomber command or fighter command, or yes. Well, well we didn't. We didn't know. We, we were. We were sent on indefinite leave. Apparently, <coughs> the situation was that you either had too many pilots or too many uh, aircraft on the other. And we, we, they had too many pilots apparently, so we were sent on indefinite leave. And all the Kiwis wanted to get going. So then, when when we got the signal to say Dorval, the four of us, or, or I was the only Kiwi in this group, so I went up to up to, to Montreal. And that was it. But um, no, it, it, it's I didn't know really what to expect. Really, didn't know what to expect. Yeah. I only when I got there that um, and what it was, but it was uh, <laughs> there was no when I you know how they they on Sky now they've got a lot of documentaries. Wartime stuff. I don't know whether they're they're being uh, declassified or not, whatever they are. But you see these poor buggers coming back from, from the raids and stuff like that, and they say, you know, they must have been scared bloody fatless. Yeah. And 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 here's, here's me, you know, flying a buddy across the Atlantic with the sun shining and everything else. No, everybody's behaving themselves. <laughs> Dead easy, yeah. as long as you keep the bloody engines going. When you were flying the route from San Francisco to Sydney, yeah. what sort of passengers were on board? Were they military generals? Uh, were they military and I suppose you could CIP commercially important people. Okay. It was quite funny. Um, we had um, one trip down from the States. It was about Honolulu, Canton, Fiji would be. About 15 hours, and 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 then we'd we'd stay there 
get there in the afternoon. We stayed there till about midnight, and oh, a bit, a bit after midnight, and then we'd fly down to walk and have breakfast and go on to Sydney. And I had a, a co-pilot, Canadian co-pilot, who'd done a lot of anti-submarine work in, in, in the Atlantic. He's quite experienced pilot, and he was a born gambler. <laughs> there was a colonel, colonel amongst the passengers. He was a born gambler. This bloody Canadian took him for about 600 bloody pounds. <laughs> <laughs> and there was no way he was going to bloody pay this. <laughs> so he had to, had to get the Anton Cordial working. <laughs> <laughs> uh, was the, that version that you're flying on that route with the tall tail, was that different to fly from the standard Liberator with the twin tails? Oh, yeah. Well, well, yeah, not, not because of that. Yeah. Because the the, 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 the normal, as I say, had these these uh, paddle brake props on them. Yeah. So they they the engines weren't as efficient at low altitude as, as that one, and because that had, uh, had was, couldn't go below, they had paddle brake props which were more efficient. So so it but it was it was a nice aircraft to to handle. Um, it was about 13 hours from San Diego to to, uh, to Honolulu, but going back just to give it, you know, we're all about bloody luck, uh, flight time limitations and all that stuff on aeroplane is now. Coming back, flying north, we fly over to Sydney in, in the afternoon, or in the day, arrive at Philippine, have breakfast, and we used to stay at a, an airport house on the on the road between Hanoi Pai and Hobsonville, along the ridge there, there was yep. three or four airports houses there. Yep. And the wife came in and made her breakfast. And we leave Hanoi Pai about 8 o'clock in the morning, two pilots, one navigator, one motor operator, one flight engineer, flight to Randy, about six hours, just about busy. Refuel. Another six or eight hours up to, up to uh, Canton, refuel. Another ten hours up to uh, Honolulu. One bloody crew. They'd leave one morning and get back up there the next morning. <laughs> when I think back on it, uh, and we, we all did, all the crews did that. All the crews did that. And it was quite interesting. We had uh, one, one trip going into Canton on the way north, it, it's, you know, it's, it's an hotel, why the hell, miles from anywhere. And just a skeleton crew looking after the place. And we had a bunch of uh, USA, uh, USO American girls, they worked, they worked in, a, in a PX shop and stuff like that. Right, yep. So, we got one of these girls up on the flight deck coming in there and asked for a Approach, a mission to approach Canton with this, uh, this <laughs> dulcy bloody voice. Ah. <laughs> Everybody on a sailor at the airport to see this bird, <laughs> to see what they look like again. Now it's, it's um, as I say, I had a very cushy walk, very cushy walk, but I. 
same time I didn't put a scratch on her, so that's something. At that time with the taking off of the the uh, turret in the back of the, the Hudson, that could have been. You know, I should I should have aborted the boat to take off, but didn't do it. There might have been a cushy war, but it was very important work anyway. And yeah, well, it, it's yeah, I suppose everybody had to do it. Mm. Thing, but it was lucky to get there. But it um, it got a lot of aeroplanes over there. There's no doubt about that. Well, even the on the South Atlantic, uh, they used to they used to American uh, used to train in, in America and take the aeroplane and fly down that route. Uh, and carry on to, um, to to India, and then fly over, uh, even over the hump to, to China, yep. and that was in. But uh, that's that's um, so it, it was used for other people as well as very. How many were? How many people were there in your unit? Like, was there separate squadrons within Ferry Command? No, it, or we were. It was 45 Atlantic Transport Group was the the group in, in Montreal, mm -hmm. and we were never sort of I was never in a squadron like like the guys on on the on, on ops and stuff like that. Yeah. They used to go into into the bar and have a, a pint after and things like that. Yeah. In fact, I didn't drink when I joined the Air Force, right. and uh, my father didn't drink, my family didn't drink. One of the last things he said, he said, "I don't expect you to drink." And I didn't. On the on the South Atlantic, we used to get two weeks' leave after every port for deliveries. And Doug uh, uh, Ferguson, the Canadian guy, with a hard case, we heard that there was a a wives American wives training school at at Daytona Beach. That all oh, well, we'll, we'll we'll go to this buddy up there and see what, see how we get on. And we went far as got as far as West Farm Beach, and there was a big uh, uh, officers' club there. Yeah. Where they were crushing, you know, all sorts of things, swimming some. And there was a bird hanging around there, rather good-looking one, I might have. But uh, I think she was the the local riding horse. <laughs> For better or worse, I, I decided that it was a bit of all right this time. I was as clean as bloody grass, bloody cocky. I hadn't drunk. I was drinking bloody overproof rum, so I thought, oh, I'll have a couple of these. I'll cross it out, tell her this, I'm as silly as a bloody cow. Then I went on the high board, <laughs> I went flat on my bloody back. <laughs> so I swam along the bloody pulled to the far end of the pool and got out there so no one could see where it got. <laughs> oh dear. It was a learning curve. It was a learning curve. And I, one, uh, uh, about 44, whatever, 45, flying down to here. And one stage I got some leave and decided to go and and down New Zealand to see my parents. Came down to walk, to walk and go off. And my, my brother at this stage had got his wings and they decided that they had enough pilots. He'd come back and he was he was he was uh, lecturing the ATC on aircraft and the, the recognition and he had 
had a bloody car and his route was from New Plymouth to Wongaray. And he's a good footballer, played football for Grammar every Sunday, had a mate, so we, we went to have a gallop. And for some reason or other, instead of going to, to, to uh, Little Lim, we got a, we got a ferry across to, to um, Peckton and we started from trying to hitch a ride. It was about, there was one car there, there was about four people there, so they put another couple in. We got down to about Chevy or somewhere there and they had a puncture. And we, they were going to a wedding that afternoon, so they were no, no hurry, but we had to get a bloody uh, train at 8 o'clock. <laughs> so we got to fix the, the, the puncture and went a bit further, and it went again. That was the spare time. So then we stopped, and there was a poppy's uh, shed just through the fence and went across there. And he had a truck in there with a puncture outfit, so we bought his puncture outfit, fixed the bloody puncture. Put a little note on and said, Thank you very much, but we've taken one of your favorites. And we, we caught our train at our time. <laughs> Brilliant. <laughs> I often wonder what happened to that sort of. Was, uh, so that was uh, from a, a sheep cocky that hardly, hardly knew his way around, sort of thing. Yeah. It was a learning curve. Yeah. But it was the same for everybody, really. Yeah. And th this is why. Um, I'm explaining this because it's, it just shows you how the various commands worked in different ways. Sort of. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. In actual fact, the very command was supposedly nutted out by D.C.T. Bennett. Did you know the name? Don Bennett, yep. Don Bennett. He was a pommy-eyes Australian. Yep. And he flew, flew with... Uh, British Airways before the war, yes. and uh, he was supposed to have had this idea. And he was supposed to have crewed that, that first aircraft that tried to the film with it. I don't know. But he also was the, the guy that conceived the, the uh, Pathfinders. Yeah, yeah. And he, he wrote a book called The Complete Navigator. Uh, which which was the Bible for navigators that you said to first person navs, stuff like that. And the cynic said he he wrote it on his honeymoon. <laughs> oh really? <laughs> it was pretty sort of stuff. <laughs> yeah, I've heard he was a very um, uh, no nonsense kind of guy. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Ah. So when you finished with Air New Zealand, did you continue flying in any way? Oh, my, my sight was going. I, I went up to Singapore Airways and a week, a, a year after I retired, they, they sent down this the interest and he went up and uh, I'd, I'd given up my license and all that sort of stuff. And uh, I, I don't even know what an aircraft, because they didn't have the easy 10s on it. So. They were, about, they were going to get them, I think. Anyhow, but I, t I said to the ops manager, and like my eyes tested, and I was right on the borderline. So I thought, well, I made the decision, and I'll, I'll stay out of it. The only time I've flown since then, my 80th birthday, I went out of the North Shore Club and what, 45 minutes of flying there, and uh, t taking off on the southeast runway, 
and I had to change course. I was going to hit the bloody top of the hill. Oh. <laughs> it was an any climax, in a way. But, uh, no. It would have been nice, but because a lot of the guys did, you see. And they made good, good money out of it too. Exactly. Yeah. Oh well. Can you think of anything to ask, Peter? I think we've covered it. Yeah. Well, thank you very much. It's been right. been a pleasure. And but wait, there's more. When we finished the interview, we kept talking, and I thought, this is good stuff. So I turned the recorder back on. So here's a little bit of bonus story. Uh, I think I think it delivered three, three marauders, and one of them we got to, to uh, Accra, and they they had they were short of crews to take them up to Cairo, so they said, "Would you do it?" So we took it up to Cairo by by Kano and uh, Khartoum, and got it to Cairo, and they said, "Oh, Christ, the war's finished here." We don't want anybody then. So we uh, they said, you "Want to take it back to Algiers because there's a South African squadron there." That's the thing. So we went back to. Um, Libya, and then on to, on to Algiers, yeah. for the thing, and then and uh, uh, so that was that's that story. Um, the interesting thing was we we flew back to uh, Nassau and on on that thing on Churchill's airplane when it wasn't being used for Churchill, he uh, it was used for normal transport duties, and they they flew us there to to us uh, Rabat. Uh, the Azores and down to Bermuda and down to the thing, but they eventually they lost the bloody thing in the in the Bermuda Triangle. I didn't know that. Yeah, wow. yeah. And, and and Churchill wasn't on it, no. I, but uh, they lost it there. Okay. So when you flew on it and and it was just for normal transport, yes. was it still kitted out like he would have used it with his, uh, his big armchair oh, and stuff, or I did don't they know. they swapped it out? Yeah, I think it was there. Yeah. No, it was. Um, yeah. Did you? So you would have th flown through that Bermuda Triangle a few times. Did you ever have? Um, not. This about the only time when we flew at this particular okay. time. No, no. We were, we were south of it. We were from 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 the Bahamas, Nassau and the Bahamas. We were south of it. So uh, yeah. Nassau was sort of one point of the southern point of the triangle, I think. Right. Then out to Miami, and then up to up, out to Bermuda. Not, not quite to Bermuda. Was it a known thing back then, though? Did, did people talk about it then? Uh, I can't recall. I can't recall. But I, I, I remember when they, I went to went to went to England to try on Yorks. Um, they were testing an aircraft for uh, British Southern. American Airlines. Um, it was a, it was a, a tricycle undercarriage, a, a post-war tricycle undercarriage, a transport, four-engine transport on, on a trike. Okay. Uh, as you were on a tailwheel. The hell was it called? Uh, Pamela. Anyway, but they lo they lost about two of the bloody things in the triangles. That was the end of that. Okay. And it couldn't handle more than about ten knots of crosswind. Because you know the tail was way down here on the fuselage, it just wasn't getting any airflow over it. Right. Wow. So that's yeah. now. If if 
if you, if you want to follow the, the roots, I've got them all written out on here, or oh, they're, they're penciled in. Oh, yeah, I see uh, Here we are here. Here we are here. Now, from Goose Bay up to, up to uh, Blue West is on the west in there, uh, and it, it was a it, it, it was a field that was. There was even a story that the Germans built the thing with an idea of getting across a break, but I don't think so because, you know, it's, it, 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 they only do it once yeah. and we found it gone. But anyhow, but how, how often to recommend you is that I don't know. We, we, were, we were directed on that on the first command. When I think back on it, why the hell did it put someone on the first command in, into a into a field that he can't get out of, sort of thing. <laughs> and then, so that was that one. Then, then uh, yeah. and down here, Ascension Armour, there was one. Gives an idea whether it is. What was the riskiest part to fly over for you? Oh, the north in the winter time. Because this is all tropical flying, and uh, no worries. But in the north, we have got uh, um, snow and ice, and uh, cover air rising and stuff like that. And that the first trip we did was, as I did as a co-pilot, was, uh, we got we got um, uh, icing, cave icing. They couldn't stop the bloody thing. Put the heat on and all sorts of it kept back firing. And uh, we went up on a test flight and again with uh, an engineer and still couldn't stop it. But the thing with the, that particular night where I went back on it on the liberator uh, in, in the, in the uh, uh, sleeping bag, as we were climbing up out, out of there, it was backfiring and spitting and spitting and all sorts until they got up to altitude and presumably got out of cloud. But, um, uh, they they uh, they were engines in, in the winter time was subject to lots of trouble and you, that that uh, the wooden and the warm fires. Okay. Oh, did did you always fly solo when you went on a uh, on a ferry flight? Was it just your plane? Uh -huh. uh, was it always just your plane by yourself oh, solo? Yeah. Oh, yeah. You never went yeah, with no, others. No, they they if if they were ever if it was true that they 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 tried. Um, uh, formation line, uh, they didn't go on, but it's too difficult to, to, to stay in touch with people in the, in the weather and the cloud and stuff like that. Yeah. You probably have a chance of running into it. Exactly, yeah. Mm. I mean, that's what, that's what happened when some of our Hudsons came back from Fiji to New Zealand and two of them collided in cloud and killed everybody, so you know, just a little route like that, yeah. you know, and you guys yeah. are doing that's across right. there, it's a right. risk. Yeah. Well, They'll never know, but a lot of there must have been a lot of collisions over Europe and bombing them. They send a thousand bomber rays over, and they go through a particular spot, five or six one gate in about ten minutes. There's got to be a lot of very close shows, isn't there? Yeah, it must be. But they don't. That didn't take much uh, thought on on safety crews and so on. Well, thank you very much again. It's been You're brilliant. You're welcome. No, it was a, it was a, 
as I say, it was an adventure for me and, and a, a cushy bloody adventure at all. Yeah. But um, you learn quickly. I bet, I bet.